I'm so proud of them, and I know you are too, as a parent, a grandparent, or maybe a friend or family member. What a great job they did. Uh, I'm going to try to find a spot where this settles in nice and tight here. Uh, obviously, either our floor is extremely out of plumb, or this is a really interesting pulpit. Okay, so anyway, uh, take your Bible. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 1. If you have a Bible, that's fine. If you don't, it's just one verse. We're going to kick things off. I'm beginning a new series today. It's called an unlikely hero, an unlikely hero. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. We're just going to read one verse and it will kick things off today. I'm so glad you could be a part of the service. I know you're so glad already you came. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Father, we come to you and in these next few moments we pray, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts, that you'd work in our lives. Lord, what a wonderful, wonderful time we had as the children lifted their voices in song to you and we were able to just to listen in on it. Father, they did such a fabulous job and Lord, you can tell that there was a lot of work that went into that. But Lord, thank you so much for the fact that as they were learning those songs, as they were memorizing lines possibly, they were being reminded of your goodness and grace, your reality. Lord, how important it is that we, even as adults, are reminded continually that you're real. Lord, it's not just a time that we come together at Christmas to celebrate your birth. It's truly, Father, the truth is that we need to celebrate your birth every day. Not only your birth, but your life, and then your death, your resurrection, the salvation that you provide us with. Thank you so much. Bless this service now, this time of preaching and teaching. May you just be with me, fill me with your Holy Ghost, and allow me to be your mouthpiece. There may be somebody in our midst today that has yet to accept and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. Well, Father, it would be a tragedy for them to leave here without knowing Him personally. And I pray, dear God, that you would just convict them of their sin, their need of a Savior. And Lord, may we, Father, be so open and make it so easy. We know salvation's not complicated. We know that coming to Jesus is not hard. But Lord, the Holy, the Holy Spirit will draw, but Father, the devil will try to keep us from him. Help us, Lord, to just come to you today, if we haven't already. In Christ's name, all, amen. Second Lieutenant, Audie Murphy, you may have heard of him. Uh, Audie Murphy was in a number of movies years ago. He was involved in like... Um, a lot of westerns, uh, war movies, things like that. But 2nd Lieutenant Murphy commanded Company B, which was attacked by six tanks and waves of infantry. And this is a true story. This is real. Murphy ordered his men to withdraw to prepare positions in the woods. They were prepared positions already, but he, he, he ordered them to withdraw to those prepared positions. While he remained forwarded his command post and continued to give fire directions to the artillery by telephone. Behind him to his right, one of their tank destroyers received a direct hit and began to burn. The crew members withdrew to the woods. Murphy, however, continued to direct artillery fire, which killed a large number of the advancing enemy infantry. With the enemy tanks abreast of his position, he climbed on the burning tank destroyer, which was in real danger of blowing up at any moment, and he employed the 50 caliber machine gun against the enemy. 
He was alone and he was exposed to German fire from three sides, but his deadly fire killed dozens of Germans and caused their infantry attack to waver. The enemy tanks, losing infantry support, began to fall back. For an hour, the Germans tried every available weapon to eliminate Murphy, but he continued to hold his position, and he wiped out a squad which was trying to creep up unnoticed on, on his right flank. Germans reached as close as 10 yards to Murphy, only to be mowed down by his fire. He received a leg wound, but he ignored it and continued the single-handed fight until his ammunition was exhausted. He then made his way to his company, refused medical attention, and organized the company in a counterattack which forced the Germans to withdraw. His directing of artillery wiped, uh, fire wiped out many of the enemy. He killed or wounded about 50. Second Lieutenant Murphy's indomitable courage and his, refu his refusal to give an inch of ground saved his company from possible encirclement and de destruction and enabled it to hold the woods which had been the enemy's objective. On April the 23rd, 1945, at the age of only 19 years old, Murphy received the Medal of Honor for his actions. Through Murphy's heroism on January the 26th, although it was extraordinary, it was not the first time Murphy had dis distinguished himself. He had previously received over 20 awards for valor, including the Distinguished Service Cross, two Silver Star Medals, two Bronze Star Medals for valor in Italy and France. And after receiving the Medal of Honor, Murphy was widely celebrated as the most decorated American soldier in World War II. And he was featured on the cover of Life magazine. When he enlisted in the Army at 17 years of age, he enlisted at five foot five and a half inches, 112 pounds. Two years later, when he was awarded the Medal of Honor, he had grown to 5'7", 132 pounds. Murphy had always wanted to be a soldier. After the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor in December 1941, he tried to enlist, but the Army, the Navy, the Marine Corps all turned him down for being underweight and underage. People who didn't know Audie Murphy judged him to be too small. They thought he was too weak and unimpressive. However, one soldier who fought with Murphy made this statement. He said, don't let that baby face fool you. That's the toughest soldier in the 3rd Division. What an unlikely hero. 5'7", 132 pounds. 19 years of age, an unlikely hero. And over the course of the next three weeks, we're going to learn of another unlikely hero. His birth brought no fanfare. His life, outside the last three years, was lived in obscurity. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. He was despised and rejected of men, and 33 years after being born, he'd be hung on a cross in shame, and there he would die. Jesus would seem an unlikely hero. But as we'll see, the battle wasn't over and he had just begun the fight. You know, when I think about Jesus, an unlikely hero, there are three basic thoughts that come to my mind. First of all, this unusual birth. An unusual birth. Number two, an unthankful people. And number three, an unprecedented, unprecedented outcome. 
And today, starting this series, I want to address and focus on the first, an unusual birth. First of all, this unusual birth was a part of prophecy. It was a part of prophecy. Now, you know, I, I know that my parents were anxious to have children. I know that after they were married, they thought, man, I'll tell you what, little children running around, that sounds good. My mom was excited about that. And, you know, ultimately, my brother came along and they were disappointed until I did. <laughs> but when I came, I mean, life was breathed back into my parents and into the home. <laughs> They tried two other times and never could measure up. But you know what? My birth was never prophesied. Oh, I mean, they, would, they wanted to have children, but there was nothing in writing. There'd been nobody that shared the news. Nobody said, oh, by the way, uh, on uh, March the 21st, 19... Anyway, uh, <laughs> you're going to have a baby boy by the name of Mark. Nobody, that was never prophesied. There's nothing unusual about my birth except that I was born in a snowstorm. It was over a foot of snow that day. And I've been bringing trouble ever since. <laughs> but you know, this was an unusual birth. It was a part of prophecy. The prophet Isaiah leads the way in announcing Jesus' birth in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. How could this be? I mean, how could his name be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace? How is it possible? Well, in Isaiah, again, he speaks up in chapter 7, verse 14. He says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This was a very unusual birth. That word Emmanuel literally is defined for us in the book of Matthew. Now, what does it mean? Well, Matthew one twenty three says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. An unusual birth, would you not say? Not only are we told that Jesus Christ would be born and that his name would be called Emmanuel, God with us. But 700 years before he was even born, the prophet Micah prophesied that Bethlehem would be his birthplace. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we simply read, But thou, Bethlehem, Euphrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting Again, Micah reminding us that this Messiah, this promised one, would be born in Bethlehem 700 years prior to his birth. You know, God used the Roman Empire's required taxation to draw Mary and Joseph to that appointed place. There they would find themselves in Bethlehem when she came due. Oh, I guess it was just all coincidence. No, it wasn't. It was all orchestrated by the hand of God 
the sovereign God of the heavens, brought forth all these things to pass. And Scripture tells us that the prophet Samuel, interestingly enough, this I find interesting, he goes to Bethlehem in search of a king too. Remember Samuel in the Old Testament, God's prophet? Okay, Saul has made a mess of the kingdom. I want you to go and anoint a new king. Do you know where he ends up? In Bethlehem. In 1 Samuel 16, 4, And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? Years later, the wise men would make their journey to Bethlehem in search of the king, remember? There they go to Herod and to the, 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 the doctors of the law. Hey, we, we, we've been following a star. We're looking for this king that's to be born. We know enough about that. Where is he? In Matthew 2, 8, the Bible says, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Boys, God directed Samuel, at God's direction, I should say, Samuel, he anointed a young shepherd boy by the name of David. The city of Bethlehem would eventually bear the title or the name of that king. The prophet foretold and that another king would rule and reign from the throne of David, that another would come that would ultimately sit on his throne, that would rule and reign. And we know that after 400 years of silence, 400 years God did not speak to mankind. The 400 years prior to the coming of Jesus Christ, no one heard a word from God until Jesus Christ that king showed up on the scene and was born in the same town, Bethlehem. And Isaiah tells us in chapter 9, verse 7, And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I guess what I'm trying to say is this is an unlikely hero who experienced an unusual birth. First, it was a birth that was prophesied. But not only that, second, this unusual birth had a peculiar guest list. A very peculiar guest list. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 2, verse 7. If you have a Bible, 2, 7. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. First, we know that he was prophesied. An unusual birth. You can look through the Bible for days on end and never find my birth prophesied. And you know what? I got a strange feeling you won't find yours either. This was an unlikely hero. It had an unusual birth. But also... This unusual birth had a peculiar guest list. Notice what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So the Virgin Mary has a child. That child is Jesus Christ. 
There was no relationship between her and her espoused husband, Joseph. That did not happen. Contrary to what maybe secular historians would like you to believe or, or those that want to corrupt the name of God would want you to think. The fact is, is that she was a virgin and she conceived of the Holy Ghost and therefore came forth from her the child Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And there they go to Bethlehem and they search for a place to stay, of course. And what do they find? No rooms. The Bible goes on to say that they found themselves in a stable. And then we learn about some shepherds. Verse 8, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, which is, excuse me, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. It came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, let us, go, let us go now even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Oxen and camels and other animals occupied the stable where the king of kings was born. The stable, although kept, was not clean by any stretch of the imagination, nor was there any hot running water. There weren't even any midwives available that night. But nonetheless, the babe was born, and Emmanuel, God with us, finally arrived. There was no fanfare from what we read in the Word of God. The, no family or friends showed up to congratulate the new parents. Neither were there any folks just simply admiring the freshly born infant. We're told that there were some shepherds, however, outside of the city keeping watch over their flock by night. And that glorious night, the shepherds had an encounter with the angel of the Lord. You know, one would have thought that the guest list would have included kings and dignitaries. I mean, this is God himself being born. This is God coming to earth. He is the, the, the longed-for Messiah. We'd have thought that the rich and famous or the upper crust of society would have been making their way to the stable just to get a glimpse of him. But this fateful night would not be heralded before kings, but instead lowly shepherds. The Bible tells us that fear gripped their hearts. Although the angel continued to assure them that he meant them no harm. Instead, he said, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. He told them of a baby unlike any other baby. A baby who is a savior. A baby who is none other than Christ the Lord. And we know from scripture that the Jews required a sign. And so therefore a sign was given to them. 
Not the usual supernatural signs that we often see in the scriptures. Not a healing of a blind man or or some kind of lame man made to walk again. No, what we see though is a sign. A babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly the angels, the angel was joined by a multitude of heavenly hosts. And they praised God and they said, glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace. Goodwill toward men. From the field, these shepherds made their way to the little town of Bethlehem where they came face to face with that babe that was wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And that babe was Jesus Christ. What an unusual birth. It was part of prophecy. Had a peculiar guest list. And finally, this unusual birth is unusual, right? It impacted the whole world. Impacted the whole world. In Luke chapter 2, verse 11, the Bible says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, I don't want to insult your intelligence. But I want to ask you a question. And I don't want anyone to speak out or lift up their voice and give me an answer. I just want you to think about this for just a short moment. But what does a Savior do? Well, I think I'll share what most of you are thinking. He saves. And you know what? That's true. He saves. But I guess the question would be then, who did he come to save? Well, the Bible tells us the world. He came to save the world. Again, if you have your Bible, look over at the book of John, chapter 3. We'll spend a few moments there as we close out this sermon. But we'll see here in John, chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. A very familiar verse to begin with. John chapter 3, verse 16. He came to save the world. In John 3, 16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He came to save the world. You know what that means? That means he came to save you. That means he came to save me. That means that he left heaven and he left the glory of heaven and he came to earth where one purpose to seek and to save that which was lost that said to save you, to save me, to save everybody. Huh. From what? Save us from what? Save us from what? Global warming? Save us from what? The politicians that are corrupt in Washington? Save us from what? The economy that continues to inflate and cause us all to struggle to pay bills? What did he come to save us from? He came to save us from one simple word, sin. John 3 again. Look at verse 19. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light 
Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. You know, throughout scriptures, we consider the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't help but hearing him say, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world, he said. And then yet in the word of God in chapter 3, the Bible tells us that this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world. Who's that? Jesus Christ. And men love darkness rather than light. We could say they love darkness or evil or sin rather than Jesus Christ. Why? Because their deeds are evil. Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, hateth Jesus You know, it's a crazy thing, isn't it? We have this idea that, well, you know what? I can choose to accept or reject Christ. I can still thank him for what he did. I can still believe that he came as a baby. I can still celebrate Christmas and I can celebrate Easter and I can do all of those things. And it's just that I just don't agree with him necessarily. I don't necessarily want him to be a part of my life. I don't really want him to rule and reign on the throne of my life. But I don't hate him and I don't dislike him. And it's just like he can do what he wants and I'll do what I want. The only problem is, that's not what the Bible says. The truth is, he says that this is the condemnation. It means we've been condemned. The reason what condemns us is that light has come into the world, Jesus Christ, and men love the darkness rather than the light. People say, well, I believe that there might be a heaven. I just don't want to believe there's a hell. Well, if there's a heaven, there's a hell. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Now, I, I don't understand why not. I always do it. It always confuses me. Does that confuse you? You can't have your cake and eat it too? It makes no sense to me. I get cake all the time and I eat it. <laughs> but I think you understand the vernacular. You understand what I'm trying to express. And the fact is, he goes on to say, for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Oh, that's an indictment there, isn't it? I want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And it's not a matter of, I just, eh, he can do his way, I'll go mine. It's like, I don't want nothing to do with you because I love what I am doing. I love sin more than I love you, the Savior. Ooh, that's a, that's kind of, that's kind of, ooh, that's a rough one. Who did he come to save? He came to save the world from what? Sin. Matter of fact, Romans 3.23 says, For all sin and come short of the glory of God. Listen, we're all in the same boat. None of us are any different than the other. Now, I got a little suit on today. Maybe you didn't wear a suit jacket to church today, but can I tell you, the suit jacket doesn't make me anything. I put it on because I think it makes me look good and it hides a little bit of extra, you know. So he did, he, he, he came to save the world. Who did he come? The, the world. From what? Sin. How? How? I mean, I can die on a cross, right? A number of people died on a cross. Dying on the cross obviously didn't make all the difference. I mean, there are two thieves that died right beside him, right? So, I mean, it wasn't that. Well, Jesus died on the cross. Who cares? In and of itself, that means nothing. So how does this happen? How is it that this Savior, this unusual birth that's, that we finally realized impacted the whole world? How, well, how did it impact the whole world? Well, he came to save. And from what sin? And 
How? Well, in John 3, 21 again, we're right there in the same passage. He says, but he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest that they are wrought in God. You've got to come to the light. There's no doubt that Jesus Christ uh, uh, lived a sinless, perfect life. We see that explained and we see it outlined in the Word of God. There was nobody, none of us have ever lived a life even remotely close to that. We all are sinners, the Bible says so, and the fact is, is we have proof of it every single day of our life. We know we don't say the right things or do the right things or go the right places or, or please God like we ought to. And if we're trying to honor God and please God in our own strength and our own ability, we will always fall miserably short. Because we know internally within us at the deepest recesses of our being, we are sinful. We want things that God says are wrong. We know this. But the problem is today is that sometimes we believe it's not a big deal. Can I tell you how big a deal it is, though, to God? It's such a big deal that he understands there's no way to get to him except through Jesus Christ. And therefore, he literally, God himself, became a man and came to earth and died on an old cross to pay for my sin and to pay for yours. He came to save the world. And the world includes you and it includes me from sin. And how does he do that? By giving his life and paying the ultimate price of death. Hold on, I find this interesting too. In that same passage in the book of John, he makes this statement. And actually, I was doing my Bible reading today in the book of Romans, so it's probably in Romans. I'm going to look for it right now because I wasn't, I, I, it just come to me and I, I want to share this because this is interesting to me. Chapter 5, I believe it is. Oh, please let it be there. Uh, preachers don't normally do this, right? Mm. No. I'm sorry, I think I'm, I'm, I'm probably trying to rush through this too quickly and I'm missing it. I'm probably skipping right over it. But the Bible goes on to say, and just let me say this, okay, and... and you can look it up. Please do so. I don't, I don't want you to take my word for any of this. But the fact is, is this, is that the Bible talks about Jesus dying, but it goes on to talk about the fact that there's others that will die for someone too. You know, we think, well, Jesus died for the sin of the world. He hung on a cross to pay for the sin of mankind. Well, other people have died for others too. We think about Audie Murphy earlier. There have been men in battle who, for their friends and those that they served with, jumped on a hand grenade to save their lives. They literally laid their lives down for a friend. They lay their lives down for those, the Bible says, that are good people or possibly righteous people. And, 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 and they're willing to do those things for those that they care about and are concerned about. Hold on. You know what he says the difference with God is with Jesus Christ? He did it for the most vile, wretched sinner. Because in chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says, but God commendeth his love for, toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hey, guess what? There it was, right where I, told, I, I thought it was there. He says, for when we were yet without Christ, verse 6, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, verse 7, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. So there are, people will give, have given their lives for others, right? 
That in and of itself isn't really even the reason that he can save. But he gave his life for the most vile sinner. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to die for a wretched, wicked sinner. Matter of fact, in our humanity, we would say they deserve to die. You can treat people like that and you can do those heinous crimes against humanity, then go, go, go die because the truth is you're of no value to us. You serve no purpose on earth except to hurt and to harm good people. That's our mentality as a whole. And, and, and before you judge and say, oh, no, that's not me, let somebody come in and harm your family and ask yourself how you would feel. Jesus gave his life for them too, not just me and not just you. He laid down his life for the most wretched sinner. And can I tell you that in comparison to the most wretched sinner in the world, we are still on equal ground with them. Even though our deeds may not be equal to their wicked deeds, the fact is that our heart is just as evil. Someone says, well, I've never killed anybody. Have you ever thought about it? Man, I'd like to kill that guy. So I've never committed adultery. You ever thought about it? Oh, well, that's different. Well, not according to the word of God, it didn't. I'm just expressing and sharing the word of God. And he's saying, listen, you know what? This was a very unusual birth. An extremely unusual birth. This birth was part of prophecy. This birth had a peculiar guest list. This birth impacted the whole world. And can I tell you this morning that today the Lord Jesus Christ opens his arms and invites you to come to him. He is the light. We are in darkness. And he says, you come to the light. And if you'll come to Jesus Christ, he will forgive your sin and he will save you and he will give to you a new life in him. A blessed life. You say, my life's going pretty good right now. Not only will he give you a good life now, but he'll guarantee you a home in heaven. He'll give you a reservation so that you don't have to worry about what happens tomorrow to you. Although, yes, I want to live my life. I don't intend to die today. But can I tell you something? I can't say for sure either. But I'm ready. Are you? If you're not ready, you need to settle that. You need to come to Jesus Christ. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Come to him. He's the light of the world. Won't you come to Jesus today? You came to watch your children perform, and they did a fabulous job. You're so proud of them. Can I tell you the real reason why you're here today? It's because God had an appointment for you to hear about him and his son. That's why you're really here. That's right. Amen. We didn't try to do the old bait and switch. I'm not getting into there, but I'm saying there's no doubt that what we do, we do because we're trying to help people see Jesus and come to the world. You're going to celebrate Christmas, and you will. If you're here, you're going to celebrate Christmas somehow, some way. But what are we really celebrating if it's not Jesus Christ? If it's not him, may God help us to put our faith and trust in him. He lived on this earth. He died on the cross and he rose again like the Bible said. Man, he is an unlikely hero though with an unusual birth. And I just want to encourage you to trust 
Jesus today to be your Savior and Lord. Accept what he did on the cross as payment for your sin. Allow him to bear your consequences of sin so that you don't have to. Lord, God in heaven, why should I be allowed in heaven? Because of what Jesus did for me. He took my place. He paid for my sins, so I don't have to. And I'm not going to get up and go, nah, 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 nah. I don't have to go to hell. No way. But can I tell you? By the authority of the word of God, I'll never go there because he did do that for me. Never. Not because I'm a great guy and not because I'm the preacher of the church. The reason I won't go to hell is because I came to Jesus Christ the light and I realized only he can forgive me and save me. I can't do that myself and I trusted him. Will you trust him today? Will you come to the light? Will you receive the Lord Jesus as your savior? I close with this verse. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Allow him to direct your way. Permit the truth to make a difference in your life. And accept the life that he now gives you in Christ Jesus. Father, we come to you. We thank you so much for just all you've done for us and for the privilege that we have to be a part of your family if indeed we put our faith in Christ. And Lord, there may be those that have yet to accept him, that they have yet to trust and receive Christ as their Savior. I pray that today they would do just that. Lord, we are needy people. Now, in this time, what we call invitation, I pray, Lord, that you would just bring conviction to our hearts and help us to see a need to, to come to the light, the Lord Jesus, to literally say, I need my sin forgiven, and I've never, ever taken steps to deal with that directly with you. Oh, I've said a few times in my prayers, oh, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, but I've never asked him to forgive me for the sin that separates me from you, that sin that rejects the light, that sin that has kept me from a, a real close, intimate relationship with God, the God that created me and the God of heaven. Father, help us to trust and receive Jesus today and to put our faith in him if we haven't already. And for the believer, may we be grateful for what Christ has done on our behalf. Well, thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand every